The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. You know, this morning is a fun morning in that I love to start new things. Not great at finishing projects, uh, but I love to kind of start the excitement of something new. Uh, that beginning and launching in this summer, this is the rhythm of our church. If you've been here for uh, a few years, you know that every summer we, uh, we hit uh, the reset button. And we come back to the Psalms and we look at the Psalms uh, in a, a different and a new way of trying to address a new Psalm each week and not go over the same Psalms each summer. Uh, there's 150 of them. We should be well covered for a number of years uh, with that. But we're coming and approaching the Psalms and looking at them as a prayer book, not necessarily as a hymn book. Now, hymns have been written and the Psalter has been sung within the church for years. But the original writing, the original construction of the Psalms uh, were for hymns within the church, but it was a collection of prayers, as it were, in our approach to the Lord. begin the introduction, and that's what we're going to look at this morning by way of introduction to this series, of really asking the question, how is it that someone is blessed or happy? That is the the prevailing question entering in then to the next 148 Psalms that are ordered or are structured in five books that you would see sometimes in your Bibles that says book one, uh, book two, book three, book four, book five. And you know that those uh, books are broken at at the end of each of them in Psalm 41, in Psalm 72, 89, and 106 would be a statement something like this. May the Lord God of Israel be blessed forever. Amen and amen. And that would end book one and then begin book two. And this teaching that you find in these five books parallels uh, it's a new Torah. It's a new instruction from God, paralleling uh, the Torah, uh, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And, and that the writers of the Psalms and those who are bringing them uh, together put them in such a way to say, this is an instruction for you and you should treat it with the same reverence, the same dignity, uh, the same passion that you would uh, the five books of the law given to you through Moses. And there's lots of different authors within the Psalms. Uh, David is the predominant author with 73 Psalms. Asaph uh, wrote 12. Uh, Sons of Korah, 11. And then uh, 54 of them were written by uh, various individuals. And then many of those without anyone had said to have written them uh, or given the author's name. There's discussion about how many different types of Psalms. Uh, we have been looking at them and... Um, we're going to be approaching it from five different types of psalms this summer and looking at two from each type, that there's praise, that there's lament, that there's thanksgiving, that there's wisdom, and that there are royal psalms or kingly psalms. And so we're going to be choosing two psalms from each of those beginning next week to look at uh, and to understand uh, this summer. And so we come, uh, there's, uh, by the way, I think it's on uh, Facebook, maybe it's on our website, but we'll make sure that it's available to you. I think it went out in the e-news on uh, Thursday, uh, a link to a video, it's about an eight-minute video, which teaches you about this structure 
uh, of the Psalms and is just good for your edification and encouragement and learning in that. I hope you'll go and take a look uh, at that. But this morning we are looking at Psalms 1 and 2. Uh, The Psalms that begin with what would be called an inclusio. It begins in verse 1 of Psalm 1, and it says, Blessed or happy is the man, the person who does this. And then in Psalm 2, verse 12, it ends with, And blessed are all who take refuge in him that is in the king. So beginning in Psalms 1 and 2, uh, we see this inclusio of saying, how is it that we find blessedness? How is it that we find happiness? Let me ask you a simple question. Any of you desire to be happy in this life? It's the question that all of us, if you were honest this morning, uh, you are asking, how do I find blessedness? How do I find uh, happiness in this life? And what we find is that the world has a way of expressing and teaching us. The culture uh, has a way of saying, this is how you find blessedness and happiness. But the scriptures do as well. In Psalms 1 and 2, uh, lead us into this discussion, this investigation. So let's ask God's blessing upon his word as we study it uh, this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to your word with great reverence today. We come to your word with great humility this morning, knowing that it is your voice speaking, and therefore it is our true King, Creator, and God. And we approach humbled that we can hear your voice, read it, and by your Spirit now we can understand it and apply it. Humble us today, I pray. Speak for your children. Listen. Amen. We're going to be reading Psalms 1 and 2. This is the Word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart, cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. And dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading, to the hearing of it. Amen. So our question this morning, how is it that we find happiness, that's the 
proper interpretation, as it were, uh, of that word. How do we find happiness, blessedness in this life? Where is its source? How do we attain it? How do we sustain it within uh, our lives? And we'll answer it with two simple points. First, happiness is found in delighting in the teaching of the Lord who watches over us. Happiness is found in delighting in the teaching of the Lord who watches over us. And secondly, happiness is found in submitting to the true King who rules over us. Happiness is found in submitting to the true King who rules over us. Simple points from Psalm 1 and then Psalm 2. You see, these psalms enter as a beatitude. The same word that was used uh, by Christ, blessed, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those uh, who suffer uh, for righteousness' sake. And the writer here is using a beatitude form. He's saying, blessed are you uh, who, and he gives a description of a blessed person. It is a description of the type of person that receives this blessedness or this happiness from the Lord. That blessedness denotes that contented state of being. It's a sense of well-being, contentment, and satisfaction. How many of you would like to wake up every morning and know this? I, I am contented and I am well satisfied in life. Wouldn't that be nice? Don't you wake up every morning that way? especially parents of little ones, discontented. I'm happy with my life. I don't have anything to worry about in life. Well, all of us are struggling with trying to find that place of contentment and that place of happiness in our lives. Well, the Scriptures teach us where to go. There's no other place to find it. The world offers lots of other options, but we come here to God's Word. So the first point, again, happiness or blessedness is found in delighting in the teaching of the Lord who watches over us. Blessed is the man, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and upon his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. That yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers, but the wicked are not so. But they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The teaching of Psalm 1 is incredibly simple. It is very straightforward. There are two ways. There's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. There's the way of the one who follows Christ, who follows the Lord, who is given to uh, a commitment to the Lord, and that one who does not. Scripture is incredibly clear that there is no middle ground, that there's not, you're not sort of a Christian. I'm not kind of on the Lord's side. He says you are either with and for him, righteous, or you are against him in opposition to him and autonomous in the manner in which you've determined to live your life. Most of us don't want to be on extremes. We like to play the moderate middle ground. The scripture doesn't allow for a moderate middle ground. And here it says 
that happiness can be found in the way of the righteous. So what does the way of the righteous look like? It starts with what not to do. The way of the righteous uh, starts with what not to do. Don't walk with the wicked. Don't stand with the wicked. Don't sit with the wicked. It's a progressive movement uh, that you're not walking along the way and then coming to a place of standing and then coming to a place of sitting. Uh, It is a a picture, uh, as it were, of three degrees of departure from God in conformity to the world around us. It's coming under the influence of the culture in the world today. And the culture of our country is a secular culture. It's a culture that has no place for God. It has no place for a view of Him who has an influence within the public arena. And we live within this world. And the Scripture says, if you want to be blessed, remember that's our primary question, do you want to be blessed? The writer here of Psalm 1 says, if you want to be blessed, you can't be under uh, all of the influence of the world that's around you. You have to be in the world, but not influenced and under and conformed by it. The righteous aren't influenced by the autonomy of the world around us. Happiness is not found in the pursuit of happiness. That's built into the core of who we are as Americans. That we founded this country for the pursuit of happiness. That happiness was an end in and of itself. God is saying no. Happiness is a byproduct. You find happiness, you receive happiness, you gain happiness, you become a happy, blessed person by pursuing Him. That is countercultural. That the culture that we have, it influences us. It has an effect on us. You remember that I've been working really hard this year uh, to learn Spanish because I want to have a growing influence within the Hispanic community uh, in the low country. And I have committed myself to one hour every Monday morning of studying Spanish. Now, I'm not spending any more time uh, with uh, anybody who speaks uh, Spanish. I'm not investigating at all uh, the Hispanic and Latino cultures within our low country communities, but I am working hard to learn Spanish. Guess how well it's going? We're into month six now. Un poquito. I don't know Spanish. You want to know why? Because I spend all of my time with non-Spanish speaking people. No one speaks Spanish in my world. I don't pick up a Spanish dictionary. I don't watch Spanish videos. I don't do anything that has Spanish in it. And we wonder why I'm not learning Spanish. It's obvious, isn't it? Isn't it interesting? We apply that same crazy logic to our spiritual life. Hey, I won't be influenced by the world around me. I go to church for an hour a week. I mean, an hour and 15 here. And so that's like a big commitment, an hour and 15 minutes. Now, the rest of my week, I'm totally surrounded by secular mindset. I'm totally surrounded by a world and a culture uh, that doesn't just disregard me, but they don't think what I believe is true at all. They're dismissive of me, and quite actually, they would love to see me give up uh, my influence of the gospel and become very much like them. And we stand and go, no, not me. I'm not going to be influenced by the world around me. Of course not me. I'm trying to live a healthier lifestyle. But I love dessert. And it's a dangerous combination. 
And so I'm trying not to eat as many sweets. And the other night, a friend of mine, knowing that I didn't want to eat a lot of sweets, uh, sat down beside me a little Ziploc with a brownie in it. And I was like, I'm not eating dessert. So that's okay. And it set it there on the couch next to me. And then left the room. And I opened the Ziploc. I just took a little pinch. It was just a little pinch. I mean, my goodness, it's a chocolate brownie, not fully cooked, still soft, with caramel mixed in and no nuts because nuts ruin brownies. And it was right there. And by the time this person came back into the room, it was gone. They said, I thought you weren't eating brownies. Like, it influenced me. It was so powerful. Its voice was a siren just calling me. And I, I couldn't, I can't even stand up to a brownie. How much more am I going to be able to stand on my own against a culture and against a teaching and an educational system and a government and a judicial system which are set against the very things that I say I believe to be true? But we go out in the world and go, I'm fine. Why do I need to go to youth group? Why do I need to be in a small group? Why do I need to be influenced by church and people in church? I'm fine. Folks, you're eating brownies like crazy. And you're wondering why your pants are tight. You've heard my, you know, I'm trying to get into 36s now. And I wear 36 red lines. And you know what a 36 red line is, right? It's when you take your pants off and there's a red line that goes around <laughs> the front. It's like... We're wondering why we're not becoming more like Christ. Because we're being absolutely influenced. We're not, we're not just walking anymore. We've stopped. We're standing and we're sitting. And it says the righteous, the ones who are blessed, they don't do that. That's what they don't do. But what do they do? He says here's what they do. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. And they meditate upon it day and night. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. Here's what they do. That word meditate is actually the word murmur. They murmur over it. They talk it. They read it. The Qumran community uh, within Israel was so given to that statement that they posted a person 24 hours a day to speak the word of the Lord constantly. Because what it's saying is this. The righteous person who is blessed has a passion and a love for this Bible, for this book, and the things that pertain to God. Because every single moment of every single day, we are influenced by all of these signals uh, that are in the world saying, hey, happiness comes through wealth. Happiness comes through throwing off all uh, encumbrances. Uh, happiness and blessedness comes because if it feels good, then it must be good. Happiness comes uh, when I go apart and do whatever I want to do. That's true happiness. We have to keep coming back here and going, no, this is what true happiness is. There is no God. No, there is. We're all a conglomeration of some massive algorithm that bumped into itself and ooze came out of the ocean and formed the beauty of who you are. And if you don't believe that, you are narrow-minded and shallow and you couldn't possibly be an intellect. We go, no, in the beginning God spoke into nothingness and the power of his voice rumbled through all of it and everything that is is created and he fearfully and wonderfully made me and I have dignity in my life and my children have dignity and my unborn children have dignity and my elderly friends have dignity because God created them with dignity 
That people of different colors have dignity because God formed them in His own image. We have to keep coming back here. Guess what? You're not going to get on the news tonight and go, Hey, there's new debates that the world is flat. It's like, really? And we come back and the news tonight isn't going to say, This just in, the Bible's true. But we know that it is. And the righteous run to it. And they study it. And they come to it. And they speak it. And they read it. And they eat it. And they devour it. How many of you woke up this morning and as you were getting out of bed said, Dad, gum it, i got to breathe again today. Shoot! Got to eat breakfast. Tired of eating food every single day. Tired of my heart beating. Tired of these things that just seem to be encumbrances. No, we do them because we know that those things sustain our lives. This sustains your life. It's the very heart of blessedness that we delight in the law of the Lord and we murmur upon it day and night in the most positive sense of that word, by the way. You talk it. You sense it. You sing it. You have those words from the hymns and from the psalms in your mind and you're thinking as you go out into the world, what an incredible, awesome God that I serve. And the result of that is that you're like a tree transplanted by streams of living water. That's what the actual Hebrew word says. That you're a tree transplanted. That you were a tree in some dry and arid place and you were going to die. But God has acted upon you because a tree doesn't transplant itself. But God acted upon you and He has placed you in now a place where you are sending down deep roots next to streams of living water and you will bear your fruit in its season and your leaf will never wither that you won't be destroyed, that you'll be solid, and that your life will flourish. And there is a blessing that comes because of this righteousness that says, I'm not influenced by God, but I'm going to be influenced by His Word. And I want to be a person of conviction. Wouldn't that be something to instill in our young people today? To say, if you could be something, at least be a person of conviction Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Stand for something. And the reason I think so many young people don't stand for much is because they look at a bunch of us who are adults and we don't stand for much. Oh, opinion says this. Okay, I'm I'm good with that. Oh, well, maybe I should go over there. This says you're going to be firmly planted. And winds and things are going to blow. uh, But you're going to be blessed You're going to be happy. It says that you are going to bear your fruit in its season. You're going to prosper. Any of you want to prosper in this life? Really? That's it? Let's try that again. Anybody want to prosper in this life? It's not a bad thing, by the way, to want to prosper. Now, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel guys and girls uh, have gotten upon this and ruined it to say, see, God wants you to prosper. Yes, he does. But you know what he wants you to prosper with? Fruit. Have you ever seen an orange tree or an apple tree produce fruit for its own benefit? Why do trees produce fruit? For the benefit of everything around them. This is not about prospering you so you can be wealthy, so that you can be prospered just so you can be prospered. We weren't given the mass of wealth that we have been given in this life so that it's all about us. God says, I am blessing you. I'm prospering you in your life, both through wealth. I'm prospering you through all of the different fruits of the Spirit so that you can then send those fruits out and be blessings to everybody who's around you. That's the movement of the gospel within our lives, that we bear fruit in season and our leaves don't wither, that we're going to be okay. 
But he says the way of the wicked, the way of the wicked is not so. They're not blessed and they're not happy. They're like chaff that's blown away. Chaff is that little part of a grain kernel uh, that blows off in the wind. And its only value uh, is to protect that which is really essential. And so you would take the wheat and the chaff would be blown away or it would be gathered together and burned. There's no weightiness to the life of someone who hasn't found their life in Christ. There's no significance. I was talking to somebody at the first service who was at a funeral recently. And they said it was so sad. That at the funeral, this person who has said openly in their life that they didn't believe in God or have a relationship with God, the question was asked, what do you remember about this person? And the answer was, well, they used to, they had a good nose for wine, and uh, they used to take really good, fun trips. There's no significance or weight to your life, but to say that those who are righteous They have a purpose and a substance within their lives. Do you want your life to have weight to it and significance and value? The scriptures say that you come and you find it by delighting in who God is. And the reason for these contrasting outcomes, the result for the wicked, the result for the righteous was they're going to be blessed. The result for the wicked, they're not going to stand in the judgment. They're going to be destroyed at the end of the day. And the reason is that the Lord watches over the life of both the righteous and the wicked. He knows. You may be able to dupe me, and I may be able to dupe you. As Tim said last week, uh, we can work really hard uh, to see, get our, make sure our Christian life is visible to all our Christian friends, uh, to make sure that our non-Christian life is really visible to all our non-Christian friends. We can fool them uh, into thinking of who we want them to think we are. But God says, I know the heart. And my divining rod goes down into the very soul. And I know who you are. So the conclusion for us out of this first point, happy is a righteous person. If you want to be happy, pursue those things which are righteous. Second major point, I'm going kind of Scottish on you guys today, which is just two big points and like 10 sub points uh, under each of them. So stay with me uh, on this. So the second major point, happiness is found in submitting to the true king who rules over us. That's Psalm 2. Interesting, Psalm 2 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, quoted over 18 times in the New Testament. Jesus quotes uh, the psalm pertaining to himself, showing that he's the true son, he's the true king, the true anointed one. The first thing that we see in Psalm 2 is this, that there is a king. Second thing we understand, we don't like kings. Third thing that we see, we desperately need a king. Okay, there's your little three-point outline underneath point two. There is a king. We don't like kings, but we desperately need a king. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Verse 6, ask me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The Lord has set his king on a throne. That it says that the Lord God Almighty, the one who is the maker of heaven and earth, has set his king, Christ, the true Davidic king, upon his throne. And that throne is occupied and will forever be occupied, and that Christ will never move from that throne. It is the action of the Lord independent of any human activity. It's not a popularity contest. It's not a democratic process. It is the Lord saying that Christ is seated upon the throne. There is a king. And by the way, that should be great news for you. 
When you woke up this morning, how did you do with your crystal balls as you got them out and rubbed them uh, and figured out the rest of your day? Can anybody guarantee me whether it's going to rain or not? Can anybody guarantee uh, that you're going to get home without an accident? Can anybody guarantee that this week uh, something out of the ordinary is going to happen in your life? None of us can guarantee that. So what we need to know is this. There's a king who sits on his throne. And he's a good king, by the way. And if he's on his throne, why am I worried about anything? And that this king, this king is seated on his throne and he rules all of the nations and he is sovereign and he is strong and he is powerful. And by the way, he is not to be trifled with because he's the king. So there is a king in America that doesn't work well for us. But there is a king. And here's the thing, we don't like kings. Look at how the nations respond to the king. The nations rage and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We love autonomy. We start entire countries for autonomy. We love to get rid of dictators. We love to get rid uh, of kings and authorities and monarchs. That's part of our nature. And he's saying this, the nations hate it. They want to burst their bonds. The words that he's using there are the leather straps that held a yoke onto an oxen's back. We don't like to be yoked. We like to be able to walk wherever we want to walk and do whatever we want to do. We don't like to be ruled The general bent of humanity is to conspire against the king and the idea of the king who rules over us. How many of you love to be ruled? Any of you? It's just not intrinsic. Parents of children. How many of your children, when you set down the law and say no, they look at you at whatever age and they go, thank you. (laughs) This autonomy that I've been seeking in life is dangerous. And I now have come to an understanding that it is better for me to submit to your will, father, mother, and it is most blessed for me to be here. Thank you. And then they hit their knees and they praise God for the glory of the parents that have been given to them in this life. Has that happened? Of course not. We hate to be ruled. We hate to be ruled. And the nations rage against a king. And we rage against a king. So we have a problem. Do you see the tension here? There's a king who rules. We don't like to be ruled. But here's what you need to see. You desperately need a king to rule you. We don't do well on our own. And there was no king in Israel, and the people did what was right in their own minds. The entire story of Judges And the downward cyclical movement away from God when they rejected the true king. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned. Verse 10 and 11. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Verses 10, 11, and 12 basically are saying this. There's no in-between. You will either serve and rejoice and kiss the king or you will fi- and find refuge in him and be blessed or you won't serve him, you won't rejoice, you won't kiss his ring and you will perish. You will be destroyed in your way where you stand. What a tremendously powerful statement. We need a king. 
Tim Keller, in a wonderful sermon uh, on this text, says that there is no refuge from the king. There is only refuge in the king. There's no refuge from the king. Everybody is going to have to face the king. Everybody is going to have to stand before the king one day. There is no refuge from him, but only those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ have found their refuge in him and can say, you are my life. You are my protector. Christ has ruled me, and therefore I'm safe. And the reality is this. Everybody else who opposes the king, the outcome is not good. And I don't say that if you're here back in church for the first time and going, oh, here we go with the hellfire and brimstone, or this is your very first time ever in church. I say that by way of warning and out of love. I want you to meet my king. I want you to meet the king, but on his terms, not yours. Our terms are not a very good treaty. But we're all going to have to meet the king And you see, the reality is this, we will never come to understand ourselves until we come to find ourselves within the relationship to the true king. You will never truly find yourself until you find yourself in relationship to the true king. And some of you are, it doesn't fit well, you don't like that yoke, you don't understand those things, and I don't have time to unpack it fully, uh, but let me touch on just a couple of things, again, that, that I learned a number of years ago from that wonderful sermon by Keller that said this, do you want to understand and find yourself? Here's how you do it, four things. You obey the king, you accept the king, you rely on the king, and you expect something from the king. You obey the king. If Jesus is the king, then we must obey him. It's as simple as that. If Jesus is king and he stood on this throne today and he said, hey folks, I want you to cut off your right hand, what's the only reasonable response? How high up? You know what our response would normally be? It's a perfectly good hand. Why would I do that? I don't want to obey. We like to have Jesus as a consultant. Consultants have absolutely no power within your organization. You pay them a lot of money to give you advice that you can accept or not accept. A king, you have to listen to a king. And Jesus says, I'm the king. That he he comes to us in this way. We have to treat him as a king. And and some of you go, well, I obey. I'm a good, obedient person. But then the second part's the one that's going to get you. You have to accept what he does. You can say, I obey, I obey, I obey. How did I get cancer? I obeyed, I obeyed, I obeyed. How is it that my loved one committed suicide? I obeyed, I obeyed, I obeyed. How is it that I'm bankrupt? I obeyed, I obeyed, I obeyed. How is it that all of this has happened in my life? How is it that a divorce came into my life? What I've obeyed. Understanding and flourishing and being blessed is also to accept what the king gives to you. Because we look and we go, I don't understand it and I don't fully get it. But king, you you know best, not me. So I trust you and I accept. You rely uh, on the king. You you kiss the king. You make your allegiance to uh, the king. You rely on him for your life. Not for what he gives you, but for him. And then you expect great things from this king. It's a wonderful hymn by John Newton that says, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. What a great hymn. What a great line. 
If you know this king and you're dependent upon this king and you've aligned yourself with this king and he is this benevolent, awesome, gracious king, you bring big petitions to him. Right? Right? God, do something in my child's life. God, do something in my marriage. God, would you do profound things? God, would you use me? And would you make my life significant so that there's something more said of me at the end of my life than I took good trips and drank good wine? That I had a good sear on a steak? That I was a man's man? God, would you do great and glorious things through this life that you've given me that I expect that you can do it because you're the king and you're awesome and I'm going to ask big things of you. Um, you know, God, if you're not busy, I was kind of wondering if maybe you possibly, oh, well, it's probably not going to happen, so okay. That's the, that's the prayer life of so many. If that's your prayer life, you don't know the king. But the righteous know the king. And they come to expect great things from the king. So in conclusion, happiness is found in delighting in the teaching of the Lord who watches over you. That's where great happiness and true happiness comes. And happiness is found in submitting to the true king who rules over us. So if you want to find true happiness, true blessedness, enter into the Psalms. Enter in with great expectation of finding and seeing this king and approaching him with the fullness of your life as he's given us the fullness of his life. You know, as we come now to this table, I was thinking about it earlier. I've had some pretty cool invitations in my life to some really great dinners. I've eaten some wonderful food with some wonderful people in some wonderful restaurants and incredible settings. But folks, this is the most significant invitation you will ever receive in your life. This is the king's table. He's inviting you to his table on his terms. He says, you can only come to this table through my son who was destroyed on your behalf. You can't reject my son. You can't reject his teaching. You can't reject obedience to him. You can't reject allegiance to him. You can't make him a consultant in your life and still get to come to my table. You have to come on my terms because this is his blood that was shed. This is a kingly and a royal table that you're being invited to. Isn't that awesome news? This isn't peanut butter and jelly, which is awesome, by the way. This is God's table. This isn't Kool-Aid. This is Christ's blood. This is the king giving his life as a ransom for yours. No other king you ever approach would say they would do that for you. So let's approach him this morning with reverence prayer that's on the screen. Let's pray together, admitting uh, our need uh, for this King. Let's pray together. Merciful God, have mercy on us, O God. In your loving kindness, in your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. And sustain us with your bountiful spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we do come to your table. Would you hear now our petitions and our pleas?